Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. And good morning to those of you that are worshiping with us online. It's so good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, we want to welcome you to Warehouse Church once again. And uh, my name is Rick, and I have the honor of being the pastor here. And uh, we are in the midst of this uh, teaching series called Daniel. And uh, we're following God in Babylon, and it's a book. Daniel is a book about a young man uh, named Daniel and his friends who are picked up from their homeland and taken to a foreign nation that has very different values than they did. And I think we can relate to Daniel in a lot of different ways because here we are, we find ourselves in a culture that is vastly different than what many of us believe. And so the question, the question that we've been wrestling with, the question that we've been asking throughout this series is how do we follow God when we live in a place where our cultures don't align? How do we do that? Like, it's hard, right? It's hard for us to follow God in this world that we live in where our cultures don't match or don't align. And and here's what I'm learning and I'm seeing. I see that we see tons of people that are worried about climate change, but not a ton of people are worried about culture change. And so we are following Daniel and we're looking at him and we're diving into his life as he shows us as he reveals to us how, we, uh, how to follow God in these crazy times, in this crazy world that we live in. And, and I, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that Daniel did it so well, that he did this so well, following God in a culture that didn't match his own. He did it so well that the people of the kingdom that he found himself in, they were found saying this. They came to the conclusion that God, your God, Daniel, they said, your God is really is the true and ultimate God. That's what they said about Daniel's God. They said, listen, we've been watching you. We've been following you in this world that you're living in, in Babylon. And we're, we're coming to the conclusion that your God, Daniel, is the true and ultimate God. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? Is, is I know that's what I want. I want to be an influence. And I want Warehouse Church to be an influence to live our lives in such a way that the people of Eastern Kentucky say about us, I want to be a part of that. That I want to be a part of what's happening at Warehouse Church. I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be a church that just doesn't meet for the sake of meeting, but becomes a church that influences all of Eastern Kentucky. And far too often, far too often today, followers of Jesus aren't always seen in the light where others are saying, wow, I'd really like to be what they are. Like too often in our culture, Christians, in fact, recent studies say that Christians don't have the best reputation in our country. And in many ways, in many ways, we as followers of Jesus are often not seen much different from the rest of the world. That when people look at us and they look at the rest of the world, they don't see a huge difference in us. But what I would like to argue is what if we approached living this life differently? What if we looked at Daniel? What if we looked at his life and we saw the incredible impact that he made on a culture that was vastly different than his own so that we could have the same impact in our culture that Daniel had in his. Like we've already learned some really important principles over the past few weeks. 
Like instead of being prideful, we talked about living a life of humility. We talked about how important it is for us, like Daniel, to live a life of humility. We've talked about instead of compromising our values, that we must resolve to hold on to our God-given values no matter what. We said we're going to refuse to worship idols, and instead we're going to worship God and worship God alone, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And like us, Daniel had different values from everyone around him. He was in a different place in a different world that shared different values, and yet he was a major influencer in that culture. And today's value that we're going to talk about is a particularly interesting one. It's all about respect. Can everybody say respect? So we're going to learn and discover the importance of the value of respect and so if you have your Bibles, you just might want to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 5, or if you have your Bible app, you can go ahead and open it up, the Version Bible app, to Daniel chapter 5, as we will witness today the end of one empire and the beginning or the rise of another. And, and up until this point, up until this point, we've been talking about how great the Babylon empire was, right? That's what we've been sharing and talking about. But in Daniel 5, we see that this amazing, great empire called Babylon is about to fall. And it wasn't going to last forever. We knew that. And, and we will see uh, this morning the reasons, maybe, for Babylon's demise, the reason for its end. And so often today, here's what I hear people saying. I'm saying, we need to, we, I hear people say, we need to save America. We hear that so often. We need to save America. And there are even websites dedicated and devoted to the cause of keeping certain people out of office that would cause America to shift. And, and for every website that is against one ideology, there's another one that is for it. And there's just websites everywhere. And it's even escalated to the point that they say that if we allow the other side to get their way, that it will result in the end of the country that we love as we know it. And as we watch Babylon fall, I think it's a really fair question uh, to ask is, when will we know the writing is on the wall for America too? Like, or, or maybe the question is, do we know when the, how do we know when the writing is on the wall for any nation that is about to fall? Because what we will see in the next few minutes is that the great empire of Babylon came to a spectacular fall because of certain circumstances. Now, I don't know if all of these circumstances must happen for a nation to fall, but what I do know, what I do know is that as followers of Jesus, Christians, we've been called. We've been called to pray for our leaders so that we would be able to live in a quiet and peaceful place. And as we will see here in Daniel chapter 5, that that wasn't the case. That the leader at the time was not a man of integrity, but he was not a man of integrity, and he created a kingdom that was in disarray, and the people were ready for him to go. And so open with me to Daniel chapter 5, and as we do, I want to remind you that we've learned some really important principles. We've talked about some really important things about what it looks like, to uh, what it means to live in a nation, and how God views all the kingdoms or nations of the world. And we learned right away that all of the nations that have existed or will exist have an expiration date. 
We talked about that. We talked about how every nation has an expiration date. That there will come a day when every nation will cease to exist. We said in the, that the kingdom of God is coming. And when it does, that all other secular kingdoms around will come to an end. And as we think about this, we should be praying and focusing our attention on how, how do we grow the kingdom of God, right? Like how do we participate with God and growing the kingdom of God and make the kingdom of God, make heaven crowded rather than focusing on, well, how do we save America? Like we've also learned that God is in control. He's in control of all the nations. He is the one that decides when a nation rises and when it falls. And listen, there will be a day when our great nation will no longer exist. And I don't know when that will be, but it makes me wonder, who are we trying to save and why? And let me, let me just set the stage for Daniel 5. Now, we started uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, in the beginning with this great king, a great king named King Nebuchadnezzar, who we knew and learned was a pagan god. We learned that he had his own struggles, that he was evil, and that God worked on him. Throughout his reign, God worked on him and humbled him to the point of coming to the realization that Daniel's God was the true God, that those very words came out of the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar. And and King Nebuchadnezzar had a son who had a son, and his name was Belshazzar. And and that's where we're going to pick up today, is that Daniel is no longer a young man. He's approaching his uh, mid-70s when we get to chapter 5. And we're a couple generations now past King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And the present king, King Belshazzar, was a piece of work. Like he was probably the worst ruler of the time. If Nebuchadnezzar was prideful, Belshazzar was way more and way worse. Belshazzar didn't have an ounce of wisdom in him. In fact, things were so bad that the very night that our story took place... The entire Persian army was surrounding the city of Babylon and getting ready to take it over. And this incredible city that we looked at with pictures with amazing gardens with huge walls and watchtowers was surrounded by King Cyrus who was preparing to take the city down. But the people of Babylon, they weren't really afraid. They were ready for a change as they grew tired of King Belshazzar really fast. And, and I wonder, well, what do you think Belshazzar was doing in the moment that the Persian army is getting ready to take him over? You know what he was doing? He was throwing a party. He was throwing a party. He was getting drunk. He was having a good time. Look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And so Belshazzar was this arrogant and prideful king, way worse than his grandfather, and, and, and in, that, in the midst of this feast, Belshazzar thinks to himself, you know what would be really fun? He said, where are those cups? Where are those cups that grandpa took from Jerusalem temple, from the, the, those holy cups that he took? And Belshazzar goes and he gets the cups from the temple in Jerusalem and he uses them. He uses them like we would use solo cups and, uh, and, and, and to drink their wine from that night. And this was hugely disrespectful. Uh, and, and on a whole other level. And you got to understand that these treasures, it would be like us going into, uh, into the art museum and grabbing the Mona Lisa off the wall and just going ahead and taking it and just putting it in any high school anywhere. It was just so disrespectful. And, and, and Belshazzar had gone too far. 
And as the feast was going on, and they are all drinking, and they're drinking from these holy, holy cups, there appears a hand. A hand comes out of thin air, and it begins to write a message on the wall. And as you might imagine, people uh, from 539 BC, well, they had never seen the Adams family with the little hand that walks around. And, uh, and, and so you can imagine uh, their, their, their thought process as this hand appears from thin air and begins to scribble on the wall in front of them. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that Belshazzar freaks out and he didn't know what to make of it. And so he does what every other uh, one of the predecessors before him did. He calls in the magicians. He calls in the sorcerers. He calls in all the wise men to determine and to decide what this writing means. And every single one of them, like times before, said, King Belshazzar, we don't know. We have no clue what it means. And in Daniel chapter 5, the queen says, you know what? I once heard of this guy named Daniel. And he's come and he's interpreted many dreams. Maybe he could come and interpret this one too. Why not ask him to come and interpret this writing on the wall? And so they bring Daniel in. And and Belshazzar says to him, says to Daniel, says, listen, Daniel, if you give me an interpretation of this writing, there will be a great reward for you. And Daniel's like, I really don't care about the reward. I'm not really interested in that, but let me share some history with you, Belshazzar. Like, let me catch you up to speed on what's been going on. Because Daniel was convinced from the moment that the writing was on the wall that it was all about the demise of Babylon. And in that moment, the Persians were coming over the wall to take over the city. And on that night, later on, Belshazzar would lose his life. And so Daniel decides, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to let this opportunity escape me. I'm going to give a little history lesson. And so he says, listen, he says, listen, Belshazzar, your grandfather, and you know this, your grandfather was so full of pride and arrogance that here's what God told him. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to break off from your sin. You need to repent of your sin and you need to humble yourself or I'll do it for you. He says to to Belshazzar, he says, you know, your papa, he walked around like a cow, acting like an animal for seven years, eating grass out of his mind. And he became humbled and recognized that God was in control. Daniel's like, Belshazzar, you knew that. You know the history of your grandfather and you should have humbled yourself. You should have humbled yourself, but instead you took it to a whole new level. And here's what he says in verse 22 of chapter 5. He says, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor God who holds in his hand your life and all of your ways. See, here's the truth that led to Babylon's great fall. It's a truth we need to understand. It's this one, that rejecting God's will leads to a nation, nation's undoing. Rejecting God's will leads to a nation's undoing. That in this passage, 
Daniel mes- uh, mentions three things, three things that led to the fall of Babylon. And the first thing that he mentions is that, well, pride and arrogance. We see this again in this story. We talked about it last week with King Nebuchadnezzar. And here we are two generations later, and it's still a major problem. And it was pride and arrogance, not just for the people, but from the very top, from the king. Belshazzar took out those cups, those holy cups, and he used them in a way that they were never intended to be used. And he knew how disrespectful that was, and he did it anyways. And so show me a nation that's teetering on expiration, and I will show you those who are at the top, dishonoring God through their pride and their arrogance. Secondly, Daniel mentions that they were mocking God. He gives us the example of them mocking God because they're mocking his will. Uh, Belshazzar was mocking God's will, his existence, his desire, his plans for the world. And nations that mock God are also in trouble. That it's not enough just that there's pride and arrogance from the top, but nations that mock God are in, in trouble. And I would even say that America is in trouble because it's daily mocking God with its political agendas, with its ungodly values, and its prideful ways. And the third thing that we see is that we see the worship of false gods, the denial of God's existence, and the worship of false idols and false gods. And these three things combined led to God saying about Babylon that enough was enough. And as followers of Jesus, this should rattle us. Like this should cause us to pray. This should cause us to pray for our leaders, to pray that our leaders would be kept from a pride and arrogance that will lead to our nation's demise. That they would have hearts that are humbled before God that would acknowledge that God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the world, that we would be a nation that doesn't reject God, but a nation that desires to follow God. However, we know from history that all nations are eventually going to fall. Even the great nation of Israel, God's chosen people fell because of its lack of morality and because of its pride and its arrogance. So nations need to be careful about rejecting God because that ended up being the writing on the wall for the Babylonian empire. So what exactly, though, did the writing say? Like, what what was the thing that the hand wrote? What was the message? Well, Daniel tells us in verse 24, it says, Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. And here is what these words mean. So Daniel tells us what it means. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and is given to the Medes and the Persians. All three of these terms that Daniel reads from the wall, all three of them were terms of weights and measurements. And he wants us to think in terms of a scale. And and there is something about the scale that over time, all the nation days, a nation's days are numbered, and our devotion to God has a part to play in the scales. And as time goes on, the scales skip one tip one way or another to the point where boom, eventually the days of a particular nation 
uh, or empire come to an end. And here Daniel says, this is what, it, what God says. He says, mene, mene. And let me just unpack these words for you. He wants uh, Belshazzar to know for sure that there's no doubt about it that his days ruling Babylon are over. He's saying your days are numbered and the kingdom, the kingdom that your grandfather built is coming to an end. And that's why he mentions it twice. That's why it says mene, mene, because he wants King Belshazzar to know that there's no doubt about it. Like this is for sure going to happen. And then he says the word tekel, and, and it means that you've been weighed on the scales, Belshazzar, and, and you've been found lacking. And so this, there is this aspect that the fall of Babylon uh, was on Belshazzar and his lack of leadership, that because he was ineffective as a leader, that his nation was going to fall. And then finally, the word Perez, which means divided. And basically, the message is that the kingdom will be divided. It will be divided between two other nations, the Medes and the Persians. And then he goes on in verse 29, and he says this, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. I find this funny, because here Belshazzar just got this horrible message that his kingdom is coming to an end. And what does he do? He gives Daniel this royal robe, and he gives him this uh, this place of authority that he's going to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom for about like 10 minutes. Like it's not going to last. And it says that very night, verse 30, it says that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. You see, in 539 BC, the Babylon empire goes down, just as God had said, just as the writing on the wall. And so what do we make of this? Like, why is this important to us? As Babylon went down, well, there was another kingdom, Persia, that rose. And what do we know about Persia that helps us to understand why God allows some nations to fall and some nations to rise? Well, I think the point that we need to grasp that is really important is that although the downfall and demise of a nation has to do with their rejection of God, the advancement of God's plan will lead to the rise of another. In other words, you can't stop God's plans. God's plans are going to move forward no matter what. And if you don't do it, God's going to put someone in your place that will. And you see, as Babylon was on the rise, we learned that their philosophy was that when they took over a nation, what did they do? They took the people from that nation and they spread them out all across the kingdom. So they they spread them into new cultures that they owned and, and they weren't allowed to stay in their homeland. But the Persians who were now rising, their philosophy was completely different. And when they took over the Babylon Empire, they wanted to send the people back to their lands. And that is exactly why God allowed Persia to rise under King Cyrus. Because one of the covenants that God made, one of the promises that God made with the nation of Israel was that he promised them a land. He gave a land to them, and he said that, uh, that if they fell so far that they would be exiled from it, which came true, but then there was a promise that they would eventually return to their land. And, and the downfall of Babylon and the rise of Persia was so that God's will and his plan would be fulfilled. Because remember what I just said, you can't stop God's plan. So part of the answer uh, for why some nations rise and some fall 
as it comes to God being this amazing cosmic planner, saying the best plan for the advancement for my will is going to be this. And for all of humanity, the entire world involves some nations rising and some nations falling. And when King Cyrus took over the Babylon Empire, he eventually sent people back to their land, including those Jews who were able to go back to to their home in Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so what we see, uh, we see that the Persian policy was to return everyone to their home, which was the will of God. You see, God wanted the Israelites to be back in Israel. He was teaching them in exile, but now it was time to return to the promised land. And Ezra even tells us this in uh, in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. It says, this is what King of... uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in the, in the temple of Judah. And of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is, is in Jerusalem, and may be their God, uh, and may their God be with them. And so here's what happens the Israelites are no longer in exile. And they are able to go back home. And they're able to rebuild the temple. And then think about the history beyond this. About 550 years later, after the temple was rebuilt, a baby was born in Bethlehem. And eventually that baby walks into the temple. And he's eventually arrested. And he's eventually convicted and crucified right outside of the temple walls for the sins of all of humanity. Because... That was all part of God's plan. Nations rising and nations falling. You see, God is this cosmic planner that makes it all work for his glory. So how do we respond to this? Knowing that God is in control, what's our part in following God? Well, I think there's a couple things that we see here in Daniel. And the first thing that I want you to know and I I want you to, to really work at is this, to give your message of truth with respect. To give your messages of truth with respect. You see, when when Belshazzar dishonored and disrespected God, and then he calls Daniel in to interpret the dream, you know what Daniel did? He did it, he responded. But he didn't respond out of anger. He didn't respond with more disrespect. He didn't respond with pride and arrogance. But he responded in truth with respect towards others. You see, Daniel was a man of humility, and he worshiped God alone, and he was a man of values, but he was respectful of those who were on a completely different side of this religious and political spectrum than he was. And I think this is so important for us to learn today, that we're not going to win any battles by being disrespectful. And I think that there's an opportunity that we have to come alongside of people who share very different values than we do and to lead them to Jesus when we do it in a way that is respectful and not disrespectful. I think we've even seen hints of that in the past couple weeks in our community of folks being so disrespectful on Facebook. And we need to be a people of respect. We need to be, uh, people need to know more about what we're for rather than what we're against. And the second thing I think that we learn is that 
We don't know when nations will rise and fall, but we do know this. We know that Babylon will fall again. And Revelation uh, chapter 18, it even talks about this final worldwide government that will rise and, and guess what God calls it. As he inspires the apostle John to write it, he calls it Babylon. And, and there will come a day when this government persecutes all of those who follow Jesus and many will die because of it. But eventually the message of Daniel leaps into the end of times to be able to show us that no matter what the secular powers of this world do or claim or try, that God is ultimately in control. Revelation 18.2 says this about Babylon. It says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. The, the, the immorality of this Babylon, this future Babylon, whatever it looks like down the road, will be bad. And eventually it will come to an end because the kingdom of God will prevail against it. What did Jesus say? Nothing can prevent the kingdom of God. Not even the gates of hell can prevent the kingdom of God. And our final point is this, the one that I want you to know, is that the focus of the church really should be about saving Americans, not America. It really should be about saving people. We live in a great country. I love it. I, I love where I live. I feel a privilege to live in America. And so many have fought for it and so many have served it and, 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 uh, and we lobby for it and I'm with you. But when it comes to the end of the story, there is only one kingdom that matters and that is the kingdom of God. And what an amazing privilege we get, not only to be a part of God's kingdom, but we get the privilege of sharing with people how they also can be a part of the kingdom of God too. And the good news is this, that we have all fallen short. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. None of us are perfect. If you're perfect, this isn't the place for you. Like none of us are perfect and we need a savior. And there is nothing that we can do on our own power. There's no government that can help us with this very real issue. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for you and for me. You see, Jesus is the cornerstone of this new and coming kingdom of God that will replace every kingdom on this earth. It will be a kingdom that is filled with justice and peace and mercy and forgiveness and grace and a fulfillment of life that no one can even imagine. And I want you to be there. I want you to be there with me in this new kingdom of God. And hear me when I say this, God wants you to be there too. God wants you to be in the kingdom of God. And the good news of Jesus is this, that there's nothing that we can do to earn our way into the kingdom of God, that we don't deserve it, but he extends his gift of grace to each and every one of us so that we can enter the kingdom that never ends. And listen, 
If you are a follower of Jesus, it's time. It's time that we replace this mindset from saving America to saving Americans and bringing as many people as we can with us, bringing as many people who are lost with us into the kingdom of God so that we might make heaven crowded. That's why we're here at Warehouse Church. And that's why here at Warehouse Church, we want hundreds and hundreds more people to say yes to Jesus. We want hundreds more people to join our mission. We want hundreds of more people to bring your friends to experience salvation. We want you to choose community and we want you to give generously. We want to see ordinary folks transformed into fearless followers of Jesus. Did you hear that? We want to transform ordinary people into fearless followers of Jesus. And it begins with us. It begins with us not keeping the good news to ourselves. It begins with us being invitational. It begins with us being a light, being different than the rest of the world. Not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of sharing Jesus with every man, every woman, and every child. So church, as your pastor, I wanna be an influencer in Eastern Kentucky. And as your pastor, I wanna be a part of a church that's influencing its community for Jesus. And as a church, we should want to do whatever we have to do to make heaven crowded. So I'm asking you today, will you join me in joining Daniel and becoming an influencer in the world in which you live in? Our world values, they don't match ours, neither did Daniel's. But at the end of the day, the people that were surrounding Daniel came to the conclusion that his God was the most high God. What are your friends? What are your family members? What are your coworkers saying about your God? Do they even know he exists? Are they coming to the same conclusion that your God is the most high God? Would you pray with me? Father, I'm pretty sure that there's probably one person in this room that has never given their life to you. And Father, today, my prayer is that this would be the day that they would say yes to you, that they would declare in their hearts and with their mouths that you are Lord, that you are the most high God that they would surrender their lives to you, that they would not wait another day, that they would not say, when I get my life together, I'll come to the Lord, but that today would be the day 
Because God, you're a God that says it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have your life together because I'll take whatever you bring and I will transform you and I will transform your life. It may take some time, but let's get started today. So if that's you, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, why not let today be the day, the day that you declare that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth and your heart that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that you might have life. So just confess today. And Lord, for the rest of us that are here, Lord, my heart's desire is that we would all become influencers in Eastern Kentucky. That Eastern Kentucky would be different because Warehouse Church is a church that is determined and intentional about being a light, about being an influencer in the world we live in. That would look at us and say there's something different about them. That we wouldn't be known as, oh, they're just one of those Christians that aren't different from anyone else. But that we would be known as believers, as followers of Jesus, who are living their lives in such a way that others are changed and come to the conclusion that their God is the God most high. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you convict us? Would you empower us? Would you equip us to go out transform lives one person at a time knowing that we can't do it without you, knowing that it's nothing that we do it's all about you, but being willing to be used by you to transform ordinary people into fearless followers of you we love you Lord, thanks for loving us in your name we pray Amen as we stand together we're going to sing our closing song and as we do Uh, We invite you to come forward if you'd like to spend time in prayer. Maybe you said yes to Jesus. I invite you to come and spend time in prayer. Come tell somebody. Tell me I'm on the front row. I'd be honored to come and pray with you. If you want to come and just spend time in prayer celebrating what God's been doing in your life, or maybe you want to come and say, you know what, God, I want to be uh, a better influencer. I want to be better at being a light in this world. You just come and spend time in prayer. But let's sing together as we close in worship.